Welcome to Roundhouse Roulette, a Walker, Texas Ranger podcast. Well, thanks for joining us for a very special Halloween episode. (laughs) Now, normally we'd be recapping and reviewing one of the 200 existing Walker, Texas Ranger episodes randomly selected by Roundhouse Roulette. But in keeping with the season, we thought we'd sink our Dracula fangs into the 1982 slasher meets Frankenstein meets Chuck Norris film, Silent Rage, in which we see Chuck Norris's first movie role as a Texas law enforcement officer who can roundhouse kick. Naturally. Yeah. Well, I'm Evan Dalton here with my brother, Adam. What's a going on? And uh, our fellow mad scientist, Mr. Bob Leahy. Hey, hey, how's it going? So today we'll be recapping and reviewing Silent Rage, where a small town sheriff must take on an evil serial killer brought back from the dead. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay. Well, before we put on our lab coats, grab a syringe filled with deadly chemicals and check our morality at the door. Join us as we pull up a stool at CD's Bar and Grill. Oh, hey, guys. For those who are just tuning in to this podcast, because naturally you just want to tune in for a podcast about silent rage, this is a normal part of our podcast where, you know, we recap some of the news and events. We do a little bit of mailbag. And uh, most importantly, we sample a choice new brew. Yeah. And what does a CD have on the bar menu for us today? Well, you know, the ornithologist in me is very intrigued by this sultry seagull, which is a wheat beer by Jackalope Brewing Company. Don't you like not believe that seagulls exist? You're like, oh, seagulls don't exist, Adam, but there's a beer named after them. Birds aren't real. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hashtag birds aren't real. So no birds (laughs) exist. They're all cyborgs or they're all androids. Uh, created for surveillance. Oh, that was it, yeah. Yeah, they're robotic surveillance tools put out by the government. (laughs) But for those of us who do believe that birds exist, it's more of a joke these days where really there's no such thing as an actual seagull. So the term seagull is used, but there is no gull whose actual name is seagull. Okay, so does this beer exist? Uh, I don't know. Let's find out. (laughs) <laughs> it claims that it is a wheat beer, which I'm in for that, but I'm not so sure about the last part. Brewed with strawberries, raspberries, and lemons. Now, Bob is going through a little sick patch, and so this might actually have a little bit of vitamin C for him. Yeah. Yeah. It has a little bit of a poem on here. Adam, can you read that? Damn, Seagull, you're looking fine. Your wings, your bill, your squawk is divine. I once knew a lovebird sweet as could be but you're the only 10 that i see Mm. strawberry raspberry lemon for tang a soaring new wheat beer a brew with a bang last line (laughs) last line i could do without all right (laughs) (laughs) shall we uh, bang into this one yeah let's give it a shot let's bang shall we (laughs) nope Okay, all right. I smell. This is tart, but I mean, really, Bob, since you can't taste anything, let's get your, uh, you know, evaluate. And for I, the record here, Bob got a COVID test today. And I mean, we're just going to say it. I mean, if we're talking about you not being able to taste, 
Right. We're waiting right. on the results. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. vaccinated. If I'm, not, if I'm not on the next cast, you'll no. know why. <laughs> but but for people out there with COVID nineteen who are looking for a drink and can half taste, can you describe what this beer would taste like for them? I do get the tart right away. I I don't taste any of the fruits. Not one. Okay, it's kind of like seltzer, with a little bit of bitterness. You know okay. what, Bob? I'm with you. Maybe okay. I've got it too. <laughs> oh no! All right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very fizzy, like extremely fizzy. It tastes more like a sour than a wheat mm. beer. That's true. Yeah, and I kind of get like the wheat beer as an aftertaste. Now yeah. I know so seagulls don't exist and all, but this is beers from Nashville. Why do they have seabirds in Nashville? I think the people who started the Jackalope Brewery here are from the Northeast. So maybe they're getting a little homesick. They brought the gotcha. seagulls with them. Yeah. When they moved. Yep, that's they... my understanding. But um but yeah. Now now if we want to get really technical here, and let's face it, most of our listeners are really into birds. Uh <laughs> there is technically a bird in the northeast called the Great Blackback Gull. And its scientific name is Laris Maritimus, which means <laughs> gull of the ocean. So that, in theory, is the one true seagull. One true gull to rule them all. All (laughs) Edit that out if you will, but if you do edit that out, the people who listen to this podcast are going to learn nothing tonight. Uh, I I don't know. I think they're going to learn a lot about silent rage. It's the silent killer, really. Um, (laughs) But but, uh, just to get us ready here, I actually came across a vintage press clip that aired on the Dallas-Fort Worth TV channel, and they have kind of like an interview with Chuck Norris as well. It's kind of like a preview for the movie. He talks a little bit about it, and uh, we're going to dig into that right now. This is on a website called The Portal to Texas History. They've got a lot of weird old news and and whatnot, And, and in my... Walker, Texas Ranger research, I somehow came across this video, but um, hit and play now. It says Chuck Norris, 5 p.m. Wednesday, March 31st, 1982. And this is Action News, and they're doing a countdown. <laughs> Chuck Norris is kicking this is uh, what somebody here. When they come to a Chuck Norris movie, The six-time world karate champ is in a class by himself. But his new film, Silent Rage, is a story of suspense and terror with a touch of comedy and romance. Does this mean he eventually wants to give up karate in his movies? I don't think so, Bobby. Not in the near future. I love action-adventure films. Some people criticize Chuck Norris movies for their violence. But Norris is quick to defend that. I grew up with John Wayne and Gary Cooper, who always handle situations. It's when you use it that makes it violent or action. And I always use my abilities only as a last resort, where I'm pushed into the corner where I have no way but to fight my way out of it. And that's things that we have to deal with in life. And when you use that philosophy, I don't really consider it violent. I'm trying to create a hero image. I think we're in dire need of heroes on the screen today. Is rated R for violence, terror, and romance. Norris anticipated and boobies. Rating, but he denies the film has. Yeah, that's the romance. To me, a sensuous scene is not nudity. It's it's the loving relationships that you have with your female interest that doesn't deal with the, its sex itself, but it, the the feelings you have 
between the two of you. That's what I think is sensuous on the screen. Chuck Norris. Wow, sensuous. <laughs> he just wants fans to know he's a lover as well as a fighter. <laughs> Channel 5 Action News. As a guy burns alive. Wait, that was not a real news clip. Did they make that as like a... No, it, it must have been. It was. I think that was, that was a news clip. Wow. That was a news well, clip from the Dallas Fort. Can we unpack this news clip, guys? Newsflash, Chuck Norris is a lover and a fighter. <laughs> Definitely in this movie. Also, we learned all about his uh, impressions of sensuality on the scene, which is why there's so much romance in Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, oh, not, yeah, just yeah, gallons of uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there definitely is some um, for Chuck Norris fans who don't get um, the kind of action they're looking for in Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, this movie, Silent Rage. You mean the bedroom action? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. the titular suspense. Right, yeah. If you're looking for that, Silent Rage may be for you. Well, now that we're in the peak Halloween season, although we've discussed it on previous podcasts, uh, we be remiss if we didn't at least mention the utterly creepy 1980s Chuck Norris Karate Commandos costume um, mm-hmm. on our first Halloween podcast here. Evan, uh, do you think you can describe this suffocation trap to our listeners here? Yeah, let's just say that like, if Mike Myers used a Chuck Norris mask instead of a William Shatner mask, he would have been far more terrifying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and a public service announcement. Um, there are a number of these on eBay. Um, so, how many did you buy, Adam? Uh, you, you always want to have more than one. You need a you need a okay. master and a safety. You need a backup. You know yeah, that you know our sense. our last podcast episode, we talked about. Uh, it was a, a review of the episode Division Street, which features a guest star of hulking proportions. Uh, <laughs> Hulk Hogan, Hogan himself. Yeah. And uh, this mask actually looks really similar to like 1992 WrestleMania Hulk Hogan. It's just mm. a blonde dude with a handlebar mustache and a red bandana. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've got side by side pictures here for you guys to look at here. We've got <laughs> the original uh, William Shatner mask that they used for the Michael Myers next to the Chuck Norris mask. And then we've got a kid in a Mike Myers costume and a kid in the Chuck Norris costume, vintage from the 80s. Which is creepier? The mask itself, I would actually give to the Shatner one, just by yeah, itself. It's, but the it's one in really the gross. kid, uh, Chuck Norris, the actual kid in the costume, that's way, way <laughs> <more> scary. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's like those 80s costumes that are kind of like just like painting smocks. That are all like plastic <laughs> and yeah. printed to look like the uniform or costume. And then the mask is just like really thin plastic. But um, I mean, yeah, this kid is creepy, man. You can't even see his eyes, man. Well, there's nothing back there. It's just death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you guys ever this. have those plastic kind of Halloween? Co- I think I had one that was Voltron. Do you remember Voltron? Oh, dude. Oh, sick. And it was just like, it was like the cheap plastic like suit, you know shirt that made it look like everything and then a just a really crappy plastic mask yeah. awesome well you know i will say shout out to william shatner he just made it into space so next i want to see chuck norris go into outer space or he could bring space down to here yeah you could just reach up and grab it yeah that could, that's that probably work. more in his wheelhouse okay um well while we're on the subject of the karate commandos we heard from friend of show 
Kevin Monroe this week. And Evan, Bob, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but this is amazing. I'm going to share a screen here. We see flashing pages from the Chuck Norris comic book. <laughs> and then a rock painted like Chuck Norris. Everybody was <laughs> Pretty awesome, huh? Yeah. <laughs> For people who don't know, Kevin Monroe is a director and rockologist, and he has been doing these awesome paintings on rocks all throughout the pandemic and definitely keeping me entertained. That one is wild. That, yeah. <laughs> what, he, what he does here is so good. <laughs> I've seen a few other ones that are also really good. Yeah, we, we <laughs> want to uh, just thank him for bringing this into the world and thank him and Mignon for the support doing this podcast and just the ability to savor this utterly, ridiculously awesome show. Here, here. We'll definitely be sharing this epic rock up on the socials and our episode page for this. Yeah, I mean, this comic book is a prime example of the blonde slash red hair debate which we go into in depth in one of our previous minisodes. It's funny that you mentioned that, Evan, because this post from Kevin actually shook loose some Karate Commandos lore. And for those uh, listeners out there that haven't checked out our previous minisode entitled A Chuck Norris Conspiracy, where I try to make sense of Chuck Norris's ever-changing hair color, you really don't need to listen to it. But I'm happy to report that Kevin's rock has shooken loose a tidbit about the Karate Commandos comic book illustrated by legendary artist Steve Ditko. But let's get down the rabbit hole here. Oh my. Well, this apparently (laughs) elicited a response from the assistant editor of the limited run of the Chuck Norris Karate Commandos comic book. (laughs) Uh, And he made his presence known, um, to which, you know, Kevin Monroe just said that's great. And was excited. But, um, you know, at the Roundhouse Roulette podcast, we like to dig deep. And so <laughs> we just cut straight to the chase asking whether there was an internal discussion on whether he should be blonde or red haired. And um, according to them, that was Chuck Norris's call, or at least his people. And they were very strict about the way that Chuck Norris looked. So the coloring and his mustache were definitely Chuck Norris's people's call. But then they went on to say, it looks like the red hair on the cover could have been a creative decision to make it pop better on the background. It's weird that it doesn't match the interior colors, which inside the comic, he's blonde. On the outside, he's red haired. He doesn't seem to remember a decision on that, though he does remember the mustache conversation. LOL. <laughs> so it's like the, must- <laughs> the mustache shape. <laughs> uh, I'm just glad that there were discussions about that. So... I don't know that we got any further to the bottom of it, but here we are. Well, shout out to David Wall. Yeah. Apparently, he's worked at a number of the major comic book companies here. But, I mean, obviously, he must have a soft spot for the limited run of the Chuck Norris comic book. I mean, who doesn't, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, uh, you guys are aware, I have gotten pretty close to the Karate Commandos action figures, sudging them up and cleaning every square inch to put up on our website. They essentially power this podcast. Do you burn them in a furnace that provides the power to churn out these podcasts? I feel like that would be more efficient than nuclear fuel cells. No, no. We we clean them, and then we put them up on our shop, and they help us pay for a month of hosting, dude. 
Web right, hosting. That's right. These figures are literally powering the podcast. Nice one, Bob. You really missed that. Seriously. We'd like to give a shout out to Teresa Maham, who picked up another one of our figures and helped us pay for another month of hosting. So shout out to you. Uh, unfortunately, the supporters of this podcast are few and far between. So you've just joined Rarified Company. An yeah. elite few. Yep. You are now complicit in roundhouse roulette. <laughs> now, however you stumbled upon this figure, I'm assuming you have no idea this podcast exists. And you'll have no idea that we're talking about you right now. So I hope one day you find us talking about you. Teresa Maham. Thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly, more importantly, I hope she enjoys that action figure, which comes with one of our stickers and a stand-up base for the figure. Not that he needs help. I mean, but Chuck Norris is over 80 now, so. He's older than those figurines. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot to cover on this uh, special episode, and I think we should definitely jump right into it. If you're watching along at home or on Tubi or however you watch your fine Chuck Norris films, I would suggest you watch Silent Rage. Because when we come back, we're going to be dropping some serious spoilers. You got it. Oh, Welcome back. Let's dig into this beast. This uh, premiered in 1982, and... As I'm one to do, I'd just like to do a little bit of research on what else was happening in 1982. And so let me just throw out some of the other popular sort of blockbuster type films. Dude, that are came you going to bore us with some history here, Evan? I thought we were getting into, into a Chuck Norris movie here. No, I'm this just is putting important this in context. I'm putting this into okay. context, okay? In 1982, <laughs> not only did Silent Rage come out, which I'll let you be the judge of what should get top billing here, but. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's epic First Blood, so the first Rambo film, came out. Outstanding. Conan the Barbarian came out. Mm -hmm. Tron came out, as did Blade Runner. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is definitely up there. And the intro of the film with the Columbia logo and everything, to me, that just brought me right back to Ghostbusters, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was the original original old school intro for Columbia. Well, mm. while you're there, the guy who did the soundtrack to this movie, the music, not like the songs in it, mm. also did Ghostbusters. Yeah, makes All sense. right. So how's it open up here? All right. Well, first off, it opens up with the opening credits, which last a very long time. There's some redonkulous digital music in this. I mean, I'll let you musicians be the judge. Oh, of- it's definitely Ghostbusters-esque. There's like a stained glass window on the left side. And then the second half of the screen, the right side is all blacked out. They're putting the credits over it. You know, they do like the Silent Rage logo, Chuck Norris. And then they crossfade the black off. You're like, oh, we're in a room. That wasn't just a stained glass window. As we realize we're in a room, we hear sort of banging on a wall, a bunch of kids shouting and playing. (laughs) And uh, it pans down to just this really skeezy looking sweaty dude who's, um, <laughs> you know, clearly having a bad morning and yeah. he's upset that somebody's pounding on his door. And there were a bunch um, of like newspaper clippings like taped up on the wall that I don't know that we could read them, but it was like, yeah, something's off here. Yeah, it's a little strange. Um, and so this he finally opens the door and it's like a kid in like a fake star wars costume with like a fake machine gun and he's like there's a phone call for you 
It's a very weird situation. I don't. I still don't understand what this living situation is. It's not like a halfway house because they're kids. Maybe it's just like this lady who has like two or three kids running around had an extra room. That's the only thing I can assume. And yeah, he's renting rent it, it out to vagrants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you saw this guy, you would not want your kids hanging out with this guy, right? No, no, no. no. Definitely <laughs> Sketchy, not. very sweaty. Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. got like a, a button up a shirt. He's kind of got like a, a David Byrne vibe a little bit, you know. <laughs> It definitely is fashion sense, sure. Yeah, American then, Psycho, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Norman Bates meets David Byrne style. Yeah, mm. yeah. So he basically picks up the phone and immediately tells the doctor on the end of the phone. He says, "Doc, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. <laughs> I'm losing it." And this, <laughs> this is very weird. I don't, I don't understand what's happening, but uh, he's clearly losing it. And he reaches for a bottle of pills, which like this woman who has like three or four kids playing out in the yard. She's just watching all of this thinking, oh, you know, nothing's going on. Right. It's fine. And uh, finally, he just says, I can't talk anymore. He hangs up the phone. Then he just like stares at this woman like daggers of death. And she's just like, oh, those kids, they're going to be the death of me. And you're like, um. Don't think it's going to be the kids, but uh, yeah. Okay. He just kind of stares her down and like walks out the back porch and she's like, well, no need to be rude. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, I think you just uh, were lucky he went outside. So we get this view out back and um, we see the kids playing like in trees and he just walks over near him and goes over to the wood pile and picks up his giant axe. And then he just starts like twitching. (laughs) <laughs> like is this what the writers thought mental illness was because it's pretty weird i don't know and the kids but- <laughs> are like playing like they have like fake star wars toys and they're running around the backyard like fake shooting each other and he's like in the middle of them with an axe uh trying to chop wood he doesn't really do that and then then you're like oh no is he gonna get the kids and then he like decides to go into the back shed and oh, like, goes into oh. the chicken coop <laughs> Yeah, what was he doing in the chicken coop? I'm glad he went back there, though, because while he was there, the kids just were like, oh, I guess we'll go inside now. Yeah, it's like, okay, so this guy's going to be a murderer with an axe? What is going on? Yeah, so they're inside, and then we see the shot outside the window again, and he he walks out of the chicken coop with the axe again, and he looks like he's on a mission. He comes back into the house, and um, he engages his stealth mode, which uh, he engages (laughs) multiple times in this film. Uh, and yeah, he just starts creeping around. Wasn't there like an old guy in the house for no reason or something? As far as we know, right? He might've been well, another Well, we don't know he's there yet. He's creeping around and then the woman sees him and, you know, even though her last interaction with him was harmless enough, as soon as you see a weird, crazy guy who looks super creepy holding a giant ax peering from around a corner, yeah, you kind of run. So she runs upstairs and locks herself in a room and he starts banging on the door with the axe and this old guy gets out from across the hall and tries to stop him with a chair, but it gets an axe in the head instead. Mm-hmm. That was and, pretty uh, epic. Yeah. yeah, this is where, you know, this is where the violence really starts. It's right off the bat. What happens next is kind of like a, here's Johnny oh, yeah. kind of situation, yeah, totally. right? 
Cause, so she's locked in the bedroom and there's a white door and he just starts like going at it with the axe and just busts through the door. And she's able to scream out a window at the mailman who gets the cops. But unfortunately, the cops don't get in in time to save her from the impending axe that she's in the corner of the room and he just throws that axe down into her. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, that was pretty brutal. gory, but not very, not that graphic. The axe to yeah. the head of the other guy was much more graphic. E- yeah. I yeah. think they spared us some of the details on, on her demise. And we might add this movie is rated R. And I mean, we generally are dealing with Walker, Texas Ranger episodes, which are PG light. <laughs> Just a heads up here. So mm. if uh, the woman getting mauled by an axe wasn't enough for you. So, so people outside, it's. And, you know, quite a commotion because this woman was screaming a lot. They call in the sheriff and the sheriff comes on the scene, but no one really knows what's gone on inside. This Bronco pulls up from the sheriff's department and out hops a young mustachioed Chuck Norris. Blonde. Yeah. Bleach very, blonde, very as, blonde as we've now learned <laughs> yep. for the silver screen. And, you know, in classic Chuck Norris fashion, he just tells everyone to stand by as he, uh, as he goes in and investigates on his own. One man wrecking crew here. Yeah. He finds the dead guy in there in the hallway. And then he realizes something's gone on in this bedroom. And so he jumps in the bedroom. And, you know, throughout this whole movie, there's quite a bit of suspense. They're really building up sort of the jump scares and that kind of thing. They're trying to play on it as best they can. Yeah. And so we know that this guy's waiting in the house with an axe. And so, you know, when's he going to come after Chuck Norris is the real question. And uh, he tries a little sneak attack from behind. And Chuck Norris, you know, this guy might have some silent rage, but he's not silent enough. And yeah. uh, Chuck Norris has the ears of a snake. <laughs> he does, which is to say he can pick up on subtle vibrations in the ground. So <laughs> he's able to pick up on this guy coming at him with an axe. And, um, you know, he's, the guy's attack is not particularly successful. Right, because otherwise it would have been a really short movie. Yeah, actually, I would have been all right if the movie were over at this point. But a scuffle ensues, and when this guy realizes he's met his match, he decides to try to escape out a window. So he jumps out the window and then jumps off the roof under the ground and starts running into the park. And Chuck Norris is in hot pursuit, and everyone outside is standing by like, whoa, what's happening? Well, I guess we'll wait and have Chuck Norris run after him. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, Chuck Norris's sense. partner, who is a uh, large, overweight, I guess, according to that newsreel, comical. <laughs> you guys recognize that guy? He was the goofy guy in uh, Animal House. Yep. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. And he yep, kind of plays the same character. <laughs> he basically plays the same character <laughs> yeah. in Animal House, correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this guy's inserted for comical relief because he tries to shoot the suspect and uh, instead almost hits Chuck Norris who turns around and looks back like, whoa, man, mm. calm down. Mm. Not like mm-hmm. you almost killed me, but like take a chill pill. Right. And this guy's name is Charlie. Chuck Norris then turns around again and continues his pursuit of the suspect who then creeps around a wood pile and tries to ambush Chuck Norris with a two by four. Again, his attempts to best Chuck Norris in combat fail. And he ends up handcuffed. And around this time, I guess his like psychiatrist shows up there, like because he was talking with him on yeah. the phone. 
he knew, he must have just headed over to the guy's place when he's like, oh, no, he lost it. I better head over there, too. And so he gets there just in time to see him being carted off by the police. Thrown in a patrol car. He tries to explain to Chuck Norris's character, like, oh, you know, this is this is very uncharacteristic and this is just totally terrible. And just as he's trying to explain everything to Chuck Norris, the guy, like, breaks his handcuffs, right? <laughs> yeah, he pulls, like, they show a close-up of the guy in the back of the cop car and he's got his handcuffs and he just, like, cracks them open. Yeah. Yeah, it breaks his handcuffs and then literally kicks the door off of the police car. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't just like <laughs> kick out the window. It just kicks the door right just off the hinges. Jumps out, grabs a cop, grabs his gun, and is about to open fire on all the cops when the cops then shoot this guy. And I don't know why the doctor and Chuck Norris are like, don't shoot, because he's pointing a gun right at all of them. Yeah, yeah. But, Mm. uh, you know, I think they'd be justified in what they did, which is basically gun him down. And it's very much in, like, RoboCop fashion, where they just have, like, squibs everywhere. This was definitely where they spent their entire budget, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Close to it, yeah. The guy gets shot and then carted away to the nearest medical facility, I guess. Now, was it just pure adrenaline that he could just kick that door open, I guess? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This is what I think maybe they saw mental illness as being, which was basically, if you don't take your pills, you start twitching and then murder people with superpowers. That mm. clearly is what they seem to have thought. Maybe. <laughs> so they cart him away to some sort of medical facility and at the same medical facility chuck norris gets an x-ray because he got injured in the fight with the yeah, guy he got hit by a two by four so yeah, in the so. ribs so he's got a couple like cracked ribs or something yeah and this doctor comes out and is like telling him his diagnosis or whatever and this is like the most like obvious voiceover ever and i don't know why they felt the need to do this unless they didn't get the voice rights or something for this doctor i i don't know but it's just like a really awful voiceover of someone with like an Indian accent. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Reading off his x-ray results. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, this team of three doctors is doing surgery on the murdering guy. Do we have a name for the murdering guy? Are we going to call him the murdering guy the whole time? Yeah. They refer to him as Kirby. Yeah. It's John Kirby. Okay. They're trying to bring him back to life or something. They're removing bullets from him and one doctor is really weird and being like this body he's got such a great body <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it yeah he kind of looked like jeff goldblum <laughs> but like a foot taller he's like freakishly tall it's yeah really... i think jeff goldblum's pretty tall too i could be yeah, but anyway yeah. they could be related but yeah he's creepy and then there's another doctor who's like doing i guess the treatment and then the third doctor is actually his psychologist who just happened to be there too because you need the psychologist in the room when you're doing life-saving surgery yeah yeah or he was just that tight with his patient i don't know all hands on deck here really you know (laughs) yeah um so i think this medical facility is pretty bootleg so they just took him to the nearest place and it just happened to be a weird facility Frankenstein's laboratory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Bob, can you describe this? I guess this is like state-of-the-art medical facility. What did this place look like? Uh, it looked like a like a movie set. Um, <laughs> and they just kind of zoomed out and used all the open space 
I think they were definitely going for like a Frankenstein's laboratory. Yeah. Look. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, if not directly, then that's what they ended up with. Yeah. Mixed with like a Freddy Krueger furnace room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Basically, their efforts to fix this guy are for naught and he flatlines eventually. And everyone laments his death and they send all the nurses home. But then the three doctors stay in the room and one of them's like, well, he might be dead, but we've got this secret serum. Let's just give it a shot. And the three doctors are the psychiatrist who looks like, what, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> uh, the, um, the, the... Jeff the Goldman. weird, the weird henchman who looks like I don't know Andy Dick, mixed <laughs> mixed with uh, who's the guy who did that? Uh, oh, she blinded me with science. He looks like that guy. Oh yeah, that's one <laughs> song I've tried to forget. So. Science. <laughs> yeah. And then the other guy is like, um, what's the husband's name in the Adams family? <laughs> Gomez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe a little. <laughs> He acts like a classically trained actor this whole movie. It's ridiculous. He's definitely the shining light in this film, for sure. (laughs) Anyways, so the lead doctor, Gomez Adams, is all like, he's like, well, he's a lost cause anyways. You might as well use this. And he holds up this vial, and it's just like water with some red food coloring in it. (laughs) Right, right. And the psychiatrist is like, I don't know, man. You know, there's some ethics here. Let's not, you know. And then the mad scientist dude's like, we haven't tested that on humans at all. And they're like, well, he's a lost cause anyways. Let's just give it a shot. What could go wrong? (laughs) I mean, when the people in the Manhattan Project detonated the first atomic bomb in the atmosphere, they calculated there was a 3% chance that the atmosphere would catch fire and the earth would explode. Mm. Um, Mm. But they still did it. So, you know, (laughs) this is science. And uh, these guys- It's not without risk. Yeah. They took a little bit of risk and they injected the red drank into this guy. <laughs> yeah, but not after they waited until the psychologist left the room because he was <laughs> objecting. Yeah, the guy with morals, get him out of here. They're like, oh, yeah, no, you're right. There's some questionable ethics here. We're just going to uh, dispose of the body. You can go home. And he goes, oh, okay, I'm glad we came to this agreement. He leaves the room and, the, and they start powering stuff up. Okay, let's let's shoot this guy up. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was great. So the psychiatrist of John Kirby's thinks he's dead and he leaves. But the yeah. other scientists, they inject him with this uh, experimental uh, life-saving uh, resurrection potion. Red, yeah. It's red drank. Yeah, red drank. Okay, okay, red drank. It might be uh, red pop, which is a Midwestern thing. This whole movie takes place in Texas. I don't. Does it though? Yeah. When we get to a particular bar later, there is a uh, outline of the state of Texas on the wall. Oh, okay. So that's yeah, that's enough Excellent. for me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're in. Meanwhile, in the halls of the same medical facility where they're doing mad science experiments on corpses, Chuck Norris is uh, rekindling an old flame with uh, <laughs> with, with a woman in the hallway. Whom he, I guess he used to date five years prior, and we have no other context to their former relationship. We learn nothing else about it. Yeah, they, they kind of run into each other in the hallway. What was she doing there? I think she works there. Yeah. Okay. She was some office manager or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And her brother, turns out, is Kenny Loggins, the psychiatrist. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the ethical doctor. 
Yeah. 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 That seemed like a forced connection, but... Uh, it absolutely was. Yeah, sure was. <laughs> but I, I love how he's trying to, like... Chuck Norris is trying to flirt with her or whatever in the hallway, and his chubby partner, who almost shot him earlier, comes in and is like, what's going on? Kind of really messes with the romantic vibe. Yeah, no. yeah. And then, but then Chuck Norris is just like, hey, Charlie, take a walk. Yeah. And Charlie's right. like, oh, 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 I see you. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chuck Norris uses this to his advantage because he's like, hey, you know, I need a ride home. Can you give me a ride home? Does he ever? And she's like, wow. I mean, we haven't dated for five years, but, you know, I never forgot the way back to your place. Mm hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they definitely uh, hook up. The flame is rekindled so quickly. Oh, man. That's Chuck Norris for you, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to resist. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She draws him back to his place. They're in the car, and she's like, "I, you think I'll just get in bed with you? You think I'll just forget? Something like that, right? And then the next scene, they're just naked. <laughs> Is that what happens, right? That's basically how I recall. Yeah. 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 And, you know, some topless shots of both Chuck Norris and his date. Yeah. Um, Another hot take here. Yeah. In Enter the Dragon, Chuck Norris has not dyed his hair, correct? Don't think so, right? Okay. Right. In his final fight scene with Enter the Dragon, what's perhaps Chuck Norris's most prominent feature? His chest hair? Oh, other side. Was he a back hair? Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah? Okay. (laughs) Okay, in this film, no back hair. So I Uh, think he, he, not only did did he dye his hair, but he got his back waxed. Hot take. That is a hot take. Getting your back waxed is like extremely hot not sensuously hot but it, it, it the wax is hot well it's in the dragons of 70s right so it's you know let it all hang out right uh, right and then the 80s it was like well let's you know let's clean it up a little bit yeah, but but you the know i guess music you know uh walker aka sheriff dan stevens his date allison she was also letting it hang out too they were like doing this weird like whenever they're in bed together in this it was like a stop drop and roll in the sheets you know what i mean that right? was just 1982 sensuality, dude. That's how things were done back then. <laughs> there really isn't any sex in this film. It's literally just two topless people rolling around in the sheets. I mean, I felt the real chemistry there. I don't know. I mean, this film features it all. It features romantic chemistry, and it features scientific chemistry. Involving red Kool-Aid. The red drink. And then, yeah, uh, yeah we'll get to... Uh, We'll get some more chemistry later, but um, <laughs> it, for the time being, it, it looks like the flame is totally rekindled here betwixt uh, Allison and the sheriff. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the hospital, Doc Kenny Loggins is brought back to see something really interesting. He gets brought into like what, like this weird Stranger Things, like sub basement level biohazard weird sector of the hospital where if the operating room weren't sci-fi enough this place is even more sci-fi they've got this thing hooked up to like his brain waves my guess is that um they were banking on the fact that most of the people watching the movie weren't doctors so they just were like oh yeah this thing's got like a cool green light and it like blips up and down (laughs) so let's just plug it in and uh hook it up to this and use it in this scene 
Yeah, that sounds about right. We'll make it sound like something. It might be a heartbeat, maybe, or yeah. <laughs> brain <laughs> yeah. activity. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it could also just be like a synthesizer. I just, I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Doc Kenny Loggins is all like, wait, she's actually still alive? I can't believe you kept him alive. Like, why did you do this? And they're like, no, wait, watch. He's like still in a coma lying on a table, but they've got him in like this like gray tracksuit now. And uh, they're like, oh, check this out though, man. It's awesome. They just like cut him with a scalpel and then like this really cheesy like foam rubber fake (laughs) model uh then like heals right back up immediately yeah 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 and doc kenny loggins is like whoa 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 do that again (laughs) (laughs) yeah not not like this is messed up man you said you weren't gonna bring this guy back to life you're like he's like oh this is cool do it again he's like wait wait do it again i mean that's science right replication that's what it's all about so you just you know you got to make sure it wasn't a mistake and so they cut him again, and he heals right back up. And you're like, this is amazing. It's like Nobel Prize stuff right here, man. Yeah, he's this like, we, the- we, we couldn't get arrested for this. I know, right? It's like, oh, we took a guy who just murdered somebody. We injected him with a chemical that was completely uh, morally reprehensible, brought him <laughs> back to life, and now he's a super healing criminal. Let's get the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Right. And his tracksuit is kind of like a Devo mixed with Mike Myers. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So- the guy's like, well, he's healing really quickly. Like, that's really cool. Let's check out his molecular structure. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so there's like this whole montage where they're like doing all these tests to him. And one of them, they just clearly put him in an MRI machine. Basically just like a body x-ray, right? So it just like looks at your body. But instead, they're looking at this computer screen where they're claiming they're looking at his, quote, genetic structure. And the imagery playing on the screen that they're watching. This this ancient computer. Yeah. All it is, is just like video of crystals forming. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? Did you guys ever have um, Winamp? Oh, yeah. The, MP3 the, yeah, visualizer. the visualization. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it looks like that. They're all like, well, this is his genetic structure. That was it before. This is what it looks like now. And they don't even show the screen. And Kenny Loggins is like, Oh, it's as hideous as something that's made by mankind. We must destroy it. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, Sheriff Dan, he's uh, he's building up some energy after a long night of uh, sensual bed rolling. And um, <laughs> he meets uh, his compadre, his deputy. Charlie. At the local diner, where yeah. Charlie's being harassed by a couple members of a local biker gang. Mm-hmm. Uh can you describe these guys, Bob? Guys and gal. They're just a bunch of troublemakers. That's all they are. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of yep. roughnecks. They don't believe in undershirts, do they? No, they're not fans. <laughs> the one woman, she was literally like spilling out of her jean vest. <laughs> and um, let's just say that she had uh, matching tattoos on both of them. Okay. that were visible because she was spilling out of her vest. Right, mm, right. Not completely. Thank God that doesn't happen in this movie. <laughs> She'll spill out later. <laughs> Don't worry. But not not over <laughs> breakfast, because that would no. just not be right. You know, yeah, at the no. diner. She had mm. some tact. Mm. The leader of the biker gang was particularly egregious in his leather jacket wearing. 
Now, he actually did stunts in several movies, including Lone Wolf McQuaid. So I'm actually wondering if he was one of the uh, gang members at the beginning scene. Let's not talk about that movie. We got another movie at hand here. (laughs) So these bikers go into the diner and Charlie's just trying to have like a good breakfast. And they're kind of like taunting Charlie and, and Chuck's Sheriff Dan Stevens. Oh, for sure. And Sheriff Dan, he puts them in their place. They're like, man, we chew up small towns like this for breakfast. You're no different. And he's like, no, this town's different. And you're like, oh, why is that? And he's like, because if you actually tried doing that, you wouldn't have any teeth or something stupid like that. Yeah. 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 They leave, but they say, hey, this isn't over. And uh, Chuck's kind of like, it better be. When it's that thinly veiled, is it really foreshadowing? <laughs> So after breakfast, he and Charlie, they go back to the hospital. Oh, my God. And he's like, oh, I need to collect the body. They're like, it's not available yet. We still have to do an autopsy. And he's like, well, doesn't the medical examiner do that? And then Dr. Gomez Adams is like, well, whatever. And he just like walks away. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, you're right. Um, Talk to you later. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Leaving Kenny Loggins behind like, yeah, I can't really explain that. That was weird. So then the doctors have like a big fight in a giant conflict and Kenny Loggins walks out in shame. He's like, you guys need to terminate this guy. This is super weird. You've got a literal axe murderer who's in a coma that you brought back from the dead and he's got super healing powers and you're just like keeping him alive down here. It's really weird. Right. And they're like, look, man, get out. We don't want your negativity around here. And so right. we're so all he gets, positive here. We're positive. Exactly. People. <laughs> exactly. So he gets kicked out and leaves in a huff. Uh, and while they're talking about terminating this bad guy, his eyes snap open <laughs> and then they close when the two doctors come back out and they're like, Oh, we're not going to let anything happen to you. Don't worry. It's, it's really weird. Yeah. After this, uh, you know, Charlie and Chuck get in the car. Is this when they have that weird conversation? It sure is. Uh, what makes this conversation so weird? It seemed pretty normal to me. <laughs> this is their attempt at comedy again, maybe? Maybe. I was reading the Wikipedia article for this uh, after watching the movie, and apparently the actor for Charlie came up with this little anecdote that he tells Chuck Norris in the car. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> it's so weird that it could only have been made up on the spot. Yep. He picked up Chuck Norris, and he's like, I'm a little worried that I might get in trouble for something I did as a kid. And you're like, what is going on here? He's like, oh, well, I was playing with my dog, and, you know, it was raining outside. And I was like, oh, no, I've got to dry him off. So I put him in the freezer. And then I forgot about him. (laughs) And then when I found him, he was dead. Isn't there something to be said about kids that kill animals? Isn't that kind of a some sort of flag? It's like Yeah, this is Chuck Norris's partner here. Yeah. Right, but like this is the weird thing about this character Charlie. He's clearly not all there. Like really not all there. And somehow Chuck Norris is continually encouraging him to be a sheriff's deputy and like right. have a gun. Yeah. You go, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and 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 like while he's telling this story, you know, Chuck Norris, he reacts to it as if it's funny. He was like, oh, you know, that, that kind of thing happens. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. 
wow who's the uh, real murderer of this movie could be charlie they're driving around town and they drive past the local dive bar and it's got all the bikes out front and the name of this bar is old blues bar apparently this was a, a famous dallas hangout that was frequented by the texas ranger baseball team Mm. So okay, like Nolan Ryan. Yeah, they see from the outside that there are dozens of bikes out front, and we get to see a snippet of the action of what's happening <laughs> on the inside of the bar. Do we ever? They're having a great time. There are like female bikers like lie down on the bar while these just grisly bikers are pouring beer on them. Typical bar etiquette in 1982 Dallas area, I think. You know, this is, I guess, a Texas body shot, really. Sure. And then there's, like, the crazy biker from earlier. He's, like, jumping around from table to table, and it's almost like a pirate's life or something like that. Mm, That's very pirate-esque, yes. I was like, man, I kind of want to be in a biker gang now. Well, it's all fun and games until the sheriff shows up. Chuck Norris's character is like, oh, they didn't leave town. I see the bikes. We better go make sure they leave town. Charlie comically slams on the brakes and does a complete u-turn in which everyone has to hold on to their hat extremely comical they go in there and charlie like slams on the wall and what does he say he barks out some orders to him including uh, dropping a little f-bomb there and they're like man where did this come from charlie but obviously pretty misplaced because they're severely outnumbered and kind of the ringleader looks at chuck norris and charlie and it's kind of like asking all his buddies, he's like, you call the police? And they're like, oh, no, no, boss, I didn't call the police. Oh, it must be a mirage. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Right. And at this point, the um, female biker chick who's credited in this movie as biker mama at bar. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, there's two. She's the tattooed biker mama at bar, I believe. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So the tattooed biker mama at the bar. Flops him out. Yeah. She (laughs) she She goes over to Charlie, who was acting tough earlier, but the moment, you know, things got crazy, he kind of just turned into a little kid again. And she's like, oh, you're so round and tubby. You're so cute. And then she's like, Oh, 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 you like these? Because, I mean, her boobs are like spilling out of her shirt to begin with. And he must have accidentally glanced. It is Charlie here. Self-control is at least something to be desired. And Mm -hmm. she noticed that and she said, hey, you like these? She flops them out, right? (laughs) That's exactly what happens. And and, uh, Charlie kind of like reaches for them. And Chuck Norris (laughs) just slaps his hands. (laughs) <laughs> he said, you're a lawman. <laughs> Don't forget. He said, he said go to the car. Yeah. <laughs> go to the car and call for backup. On IMDb, it says, this is the only role for Lilette Zoraley, who plays the biker chick. Uh, reportedly, one of the producers met her at a bar one night in Dallas during pre-production and asked if she wanted to be in the movie. She immediately said yes. Sketchy. Why would you not want to be in this movie? Um, he told her she would have to flash her breast on screen and asked if that would be a problem. She smiled, pulled up her shirt and exposed her breast and said, not at all. Where did you come up with this information? This is on IMDb. So take it with a grain of salt. But oh, okay. I 
I 100% believe this. I'll just say, because I might have written that earlier. Yeah. (laughs) Now it's on our podcast, so, you know, replication. So that just leaves Chuck Norris alone with an angry biker gang. And this is 100% what we get into these movies for. It does not disappoint either. He just completely dispatches these guys. Does a lot of uh, high kicking. He kicks a dude's knee out. Uh, (laughs) You know, he throws some dudes over the bar. Meanwhile, like the ringleader, who's like this little dude in like a leather vest and very little else. You call the police. Yeah. (laughs) Is jumping around like, get him, get him. And they're not doing a good job of getting him. In the middle of the fight, it cuts back to uh, Charlie, who's on the radio in the police vehicle. And he's talking to the dispatch about how he might be in love with this biker woman. Yeah, it's like, what? Yeah, it's possible he's in love. Um, <laughs> while he's in this conversation, a guy comes flying out the door. And uh, at which point, Charlie freaks out and calls for the backup. But it's pretty late at that point, And everyone's dispatched except for the ringleader who jumps on his motorcycle which for some reason is inside the bar right gotta have a getaway car yeah he tries to drive the motorcycle out through a window but chuck norris has a pool cue slaps the guy in the head off of his motorcycle unbelievable also i should say this might be the origin of the break the pool cue spin around and slap them with the broken off half of the mm. pool cue move i did notice that which yeah. we see in uh, walker texas ranger not only done by chuck norris but i believe also Sydney. done by by nia peoples yeah. yeah in this scene though the motorcycle does continue out the window into the front <laughs> it does, yard yeah. with, without the guy on it yeah, yeah it's beautiful yeah beautiful it kind of is the centerpiece of this movie this whole section there Yeah, like they had a fight like this in Top Dog. They had a fight like this in Forest Warrior even. So that's why Chuck Norris is in these films, right? Yeah. So yeah, bikers dispatched and it's all good. No big deal there. (laughs) And what better way to uh, celebrate eradicating some of the scum out of your town than um, maybe having a little uh, romantic rendezvous with your rekindled flame. Yeah. So the sheriff's just wandering around his house shirtless, as one is wont to do. Uh, And uh, he flips over the record on his record player. It's some, like, Yacht Rock stuff, right? So Yacht Rock. (laughs) Yeah, and and Chuck's, like, shirtless, you know, (laughs) popping on vinyl and, like... Yeah, he might even be wearing some white denim. I mean, it is the the yachtiest of rocks. (laughs) Yeah. Did you guys figure out who this was, or was it just made for the movie? I didn't actually look it up, although Adam is the king of wormholes, so I'm assuming he's looked this up. What'd you come up with there, buddy? Okay. Um, the, so, the track would be called It's a Time for Love, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> and so pretty guess. much he puts this track on, and what happens is Allison comes over. I think first she goes, hey, can you turn the music off? Because he <laughs> yeah, was like... like- <laughs> Yeah, like immediately. Come on, come on. Right, right. I, right. Talk about it harsh in the buzz. He was trying like, to set the mood, and she's like, I'm not a real big fan of Steely Dan, you know? And so he's like, he, yeah. like, look, man, Loggins and Messina, not my jam. Remember, my brother's Kenny Loggins. <laughs> right, he does yeah, look like yeah. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, so for whatever reason, I think what happens is she like kind of was like, oh, well, I can tell you're like setting the mood with this music. Let's turn it off, and let's have a serious discussion about being serious together. The banter is um, really important to the plot. Yeah, it's pretty significant. Yeah. 
So, although honestly, like the awkwardness of it is maybe one of the more believable parts of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after she's satisfied, that's when we cut to another love scene, and the song playing is called "Time for Love," which mm. is pretty apt because it was time for love making, and it definitely was made for this movie. And I know that because I have the Time for Live sheet music. There you go. So will you be recording an LP of this for our patrons? Um, Sorry, our, our patron? <laughs> Can I just say that the montage here is completely over the top, complete with uh, multiple scenes of them rolling around between the sheets, like literally rolling around between the sheets. It's, it's, it's like inter- rolling. It's like stop, right. drop, and roll. Love making. Right. Interspersed with like soft filter shots of them lying on bed with like a tray with champagne and fruit it's like who made that up <laughs> and, their and they're like, it's like they almost kick it over right and they like push it aside <laughs> so that they can uh resume the sweet love making <laughs> and all the while this song time for love is playing and there's no official release of this song it was made for the movie okay. um, now next level here the singer is the mother from Married with Children, Peggy Bundy. Wait, she's in a ton of other stuff, though. She's awesome. Yep. Katie Seagal. She's also in Futurama. Yeah, Futurama, Sons of Anarchy. That's awesome. So I was thinking, I was like, there's multiple kinds of musicians. I'm more of a by-the-ear musician. But I was thinking, man, if I had somebody who could actually play this sheet music, when do you think the last time the sheet music for chuck norris's time for love from the motion picture silent rage was played on a piano that might be the only copy yeah what it was recorded <laughs> for the movie that's that's the last time well uh i called in the big guns here i reached out to friend of show kevin wallach mm-hmm. uh and his wife mel teaches piano lessons and um he might have gotten a copy of this and we just oh boy. pull up this video here oh my god And this is her trying to play it while her daughter, Georgia, uh, pushes her hands all the way on the piano. So. (laughs) That sounds probably better than the original. (laughs) It's funny how parents just give up with kids and they're just like, they just accept what they're doing. Um, (laughs) But um, I may or may not have gotten a... uh, a full version of the song that we will use as our outro to this episode. Yeah. Shout out to Mel and Georgia Wallach. Thank you for uh, really shedding the light on this song that needed to be resurrected. Much like the villain of this movie. We'll play her full performance of this on the way out of this podcast. Perfect. So if you thought that awkward romance between these two characters was strange, maybe you wanted a little bit of a breather from that. Cut to another random house. In this case, it's Doc Kenny Loggins coming home to (laughs) a person we assume is his wife. She's painting a giant mural on the wall, and he's clearly very rattled from work. And they've got some very playful banter between the two of them. She has like a whole like room full of paintings and stuff, and they're not very good. You know, man, it was 1982. He probably was making bank at the hospital, resurrecting yeah. dead bodies. So, <laughs> right. you know, he's, Just stay he's home and fine, paint, babe. Yeah. 
and you know you he was like at one point he's like you made a lot of progress on that one today and it's just like a giant canvas covered with yellow paint <laughs> yeah i couldn't tell like, if he was being sarcastic because he also then went on to imply that she didn't know how to cook very well could she leave and get him some pizza yes yeah that was implied so she left to get the pizza while she's doing that, he goes to the refrigerator. And I'm like, oh, dude must be hungry. He's like, he's like, oh, she's out of the house. I can finally go to the fridge and take out this giant salami. <laughs> yeah, giant yeah. Mort- <laughs> mortadella ham or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, just enormous. And, a, and an even more enormous simtar-like knife. Yeah, it's a sword. <laughs> yeah, an ominous that. murder me knife. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and we see all of this through a, a window and a door, right? And so he's like, oh, you know, this is the only lit place in the house. I'll uh, just cut off a slice of ham. That'll tie me over until the pizza gets here. Yeah. Well, I go do my stereotypical 1982 dude activity, which is my dark room. Right. <laughs> Developing like my pictures. This, this photography equipment in his basement. He goes down there and we see a clip of John Kirby in his silver jumpsuit out and about. And it's like, how did he get out? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he got out of like the experimental lab, and he just tracked down his psychiatrist, and yep, maybe yep. he just needed to talk, you know. Yeah. Anyways, he breaks into the house, grabs the knife, and uh, predictably wanders down into the uh, dark room to uh, murder his doctor. But uh, <laughs> with some quick thinking, the doctor splashes some photo developing chemicals onto the guy's face. And uh, he's able to scramble upstairs and evade him for a while until he gets his gun. Then he shoots John Kirby. And, you know, this is the first time we see John Kirby's uh, healing powers in action. Yeah. Yeah. In the field, you know. And the doctor had to know that that was going to happen, right? He'd seen. Right. (laughs) So so when he shoots him, he's like, oh, well, good thing I took care of that. It's like, yep, he, he should know. All right. And he gets away like two times from, from John yeah. Kirby slash the slasher slash Frankenstein. He finally gets killed. And all I can think of is what a missed opportunity. There's that giant salami on the table. What if Frankenstein picked up the salami instead of the knife? Yeah. Murdered him with salami. <laughs> What's the point of having that salami in there? It was really annoying. It should have come back. It's to show that this doctor's a real mensch. You know, he's like. Yeah. It's like he's like you know I'm a man of the people I get hungry too and you know the 1982 snack of choice is a giant hunk of meat you have to carve pieces off from your fridge <laughs> with a large sword yeah right right oh my gosh yeah oh my god anyways uh, his <laughs> wife comes back and I guess John Kirby's just creeping in his basement just I don't taking a nap I don't know what the hell that's all about yeah but she comes back. Then she gets murdered by the dude. All right. And she finds her husband hung on a door when she comes home and screams. And that causes the murderer, John Kirby, to come out and kill her, too. And there's a, a shot of her husband. They hung him on, like, the coat hook on the back of the door. Yeah. So he's hung there. So she opens it. And he's, like, hanging there pretending to be dead. But when she slams the door shut, his eyes move. Oh, yeah. His eyes move like three different times. <laughs> he swings back and forth and he like, he, he, yeah. he's he like, does I don't pretty well for the most part, but they, yeah. they apparently thought that was maybe Maybe he enough. secretly injected himself with red drink. It's possible. but um, That yeah, right there, move. that's a that's a fan theory. So 
you know, you're like, okay, well, this guy, he's just been hanging around this house for way too long. Clearly, he just has to leave at this point, right? But no, now Kenny Loggins' sister decides that she's going to come visit, and she finds both of them dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and her screaming brings the bad guy back to life. He's like hanging out in the basement again. And he's like, well, okay, I guess there's another person I got to murder in this house. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and, it, uh, is it presumed that, that uh, Chuck is going to pick her up? Like she's getting ready to go on vacation with Chuck at this point. Because yeah, Chuck is like. they're going on a very uh, impromptu vacation somewhere. He's about to uh, try to take her out when Chuck Norris shows up and realizes that she's like panicking pretty insane because she just found her sister-in-law and brother like murdered in a house right yeah yeah and so john kirby he comes out of the house and then sees chuck norris and runs away creeps around in the background into the woods in his mike myers onesie back at the crazy hospital we see the two remaining doctors and they're like he's just gone i don't know where he is where'd he go yeah, so he returns home. He's like, I, oh, I got to go back to the lab where they tried to kill me. Yep. I guess he's just offing all the people that made him. This is why it's kind of like a Frankenstein kind of situation, you know? Um, well, earlier he'd heard Dr. Kenny Loggins say that Kenny Loggins wanted to terminate him. So he knew that Kenny Loggins was a threat to him, so he killed him. Okay. Of course, how did he know where he lives? Well, he probably broke into payroll at the hospital. Got the address. Boom. Done. There's a number we of ways all, you could have found we it. We should also say that he's incapable of speaking, and it's uh, <laughs> widely considered through serious analysis of his brain waves uh, that his mind is completely scrambled. Who's to know, Evan? Or he could have been like, oh, the phone book. I think it's lazy filmmaking. Ooh, shots fired. Not boring us with the details. That's the way I choose to look at this. Uh, he found his way to the house. Sure. I like to think that like Kenny Loggins lives like 60 miles away from the hospital too. So he just like ran the whole way there. Just trudged through the woods. He had a good <laughs> sense of smell. He could smell him. That's true. Well, who's to say that his sense yeah. of smell might be heightened? So anyway, he goes back to the hospital after. The doctors are like, oh my God, you know, he's returning and he's got all these grisly wounds on him. Like, what could have happened? He's, like, covered in blood, of course, too, right? He's and one of the guys is people. like, oh, what if he murdered somebody? And the other guy's like, oh, that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, how could he do that? <laughs> right. I mean, like, it's not like he did that when he was alive or anything. Right. You know? just <laughs> clearly no precedent for this, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that oh, would man. ruin our research. Right, right. We'd surely be going to jail if he did that. <laughs> yeah. So they're debating it. Then... Chuck Norris shows up and starts questioning Gomez Adams about the guy. And this is when Gomez learns that Kenny Loggins is dead now. And he puts two and two together that John Kirby just murdered Kenny Loggins. And, uh, you know, gravity hits him. And he relays that information to his nerd scientist friend. He's like, well, you know. Well, we're, there's there's no way we're going to get the Nobel Prize now. Right, right. It's <laughs> like, that's your you takeaway. thought you were going to get it before? <laughs> yeah, we were that so close. I know, I know. There's the great quote, we're scientists, not moralists. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that That's a t-shirt. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and the nerds are like, 
okay, well, you know, we better think about this, but we should probably terminate him pretty quickly. And the other guy's like, ah, okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> let me let me go to the lab and stare at these slides of images that are just clearly have nothing to do with this patient whatsoever. Yeah. While the head doctor's out, the nerd doctor's like, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to do this myself. So he gets this giant hypodermic needle and fills it up with uh, sulfuric acid. Mm. And... <laughs> And he just injects it into uh, John Kirby's uh, jugular. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Which, you can pretty clearly see that it doesn't even come close to him. It's like behind him correct, or something. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Slight and, You know, like that should be enough to like take anything out, I would think. And he's like, okay, well, that's all good. He flatlines, I guess. And then he turns the monitor off. Just, that's... You Why never would do you that. do that? Right. Yeah, no, He's right. dead. Just turn it off. We don't need to know right. if he comes back a lot. I mean, well, right. how would he? Exactly. It's not like you've done that, that before. Exactly. Right. And yeah. so <laughs> he leaves and he's walking back to the main hospital through this long corridor that's like Stranger Things. And a door opens behind him. And he's like, who could that be? And he's like, John, is that you? <laughs> it's like he knew exactly who it was. Um, but he kept walking towards him. Right, and instead of, like, running away, he just walks towards him. And, uh, you know, John Kirby, not a big fan of people attempting to take his life. Of an acid injection. Yeah. yeah. So, the nerd doctor threatens him with another acid injection. Just happens to have another one loaded up. Oh, right. for sure. <laughs> he just walks around with one. It didn't do him any good because he gets it himself into the neck, so. Yeah, yeah. John forces yep. it on him. Then, you know... It's off to the races for John Kirby. He's like, well, you know, everybody wants me dead, so I'm just going to kill everybody. So he then <laughs> cruises into the hospital and finds the head doctor. And the head doctor's having like a moral dilemma. First, we see this weird scene of him looking through a microscope. And he looks up from some oh, yeah. random microscope slide and he's like, <gasps> of, of course. course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Yeah. How could we, I never so we never learn. We never learn. Anyways, uh, John Kirby comes in and is standing at the doorway. And the doctor's like, you're magnificent. You're my creation. And yeah, then and like he, he starts to like feel his face or something. What? Yeah, what? he like puts <laughs> his hands on the side of John Kirby's head. And John Kirby like starts to try to speak. I guess it's at this point that I realized like, oh, yeah, I guess he never said anything after he died and so right. maybe that's why the movie's called silent rage also the soundtrack is so sparse there's like miles yeah, there's, of this movie with no yeah. sound yeah, i think that's also why it's called silent rage it makes the movie seem a lot longer than it is yeah anyway so he reaches out and is like oddly holding john kirby's head in his hands like having his whole victor frankenstein moment with his monster like I created you. You're marvelous. And then John Kirby just reaches out and snaps the guy's neck. Short and sweet. Just like, you know what? Snap. Let's get on. Let's get on to the next scene. <laughs> yep. So the next move, he just like decides to start using an elevator. You know, of course, when Allison freaked out, the sheriff decided to take her to the hospital. Yeah. Right into the heart of where all this stuff is happening. So like, right. yeah, Chuck's got his girlfriend there. But it's okay, because he had Charlie protect her. Right. The mentally deranged guy with a gun. The horny guy with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. So Charlie's looking over Allison, but John 
hits the right button in the elevator and ends up on their floor and um, starts creating some terror. And uh, Charlie goes out to uh, investigate and ends up in quite the tussle with John Kirby. Right. And now this might be the most weirdest kill I've ever seen because <laughs> it seems like like the Frankenstein monster, John Kirby, is trying to kill Charlie. But Charlie's like three times his size. And he's trying to squeeze him to death. It's a bear hug. Yeah, he tried to bear hug him to death, but I was like, I don't think it's physically possible. I just assumed he broke his back or something. That move is seen earlier in the film when the bikers attack Chuck Norris and a large biker goes after Chuck Norris and the head biker's like, break his back. And he tries using the same move, but Chuck Norris is able to get out of the grasp. Man, if only Charlie had served under uh, Sheriff Dan Stevens for a little while longer, he would have known how to get out of that. If only he'd been part of that fight, he would have known, right? Yeah, if he wasn't (laughs) taken out of the game by a pair of boobs. Mm, Mistakes were made. (laughs) (laughs) Oddly, Charlie's like back is broken and Allison runs away. This is when Chuck Norris is uh, cruising around in his Bronco and Dispatch is like, well, there's some weird stuff going on at the hospital. He's like, oh, I'll go check it out. And so he goes and arrives just in time to uh, save Allison from the clutches of John Kirby, basically by shooting him a bunch of times until <laughs> he flies out a window. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. great. And then uh, Chuck Norris goes down to make sure that, uh, you know, John Kirby's dead and he snaps back to life. Right. I was thinking it was going to be like a Michael Myers, like you get down there and he's gone kind of situation. Yeah, I but, it would yeah, be like that yeah. too, but he yeah. was there. I was like, oh, okay. Not for long. He grabs Chuck Norris, tries to take him out, but Allison's there and pretty quick-witted. She jumps in a car and uh, and <laughs> runs the guy over, right? She's like, Chuck, get in. And he jumps in and they run. I'm like, wow, they're running away from this guy. And you could see uh, Chuck Norris's character be like, yeah, I, I can't beat this guy in hand-to-hand combat. He's pretty big. They're speeding away. But the Frankenstein's monster grabs a hold of the back and is being dragged by this car. <laughs> this is pretty impressive, too, I thought. Pretty good stunt work. Yeah. The actor who plays John Kirby, the monster, Brian Libby, was a stunt guy. What I know him from is he was in the Green Mile. I would also say that he's also featured in a Walker, Texas Ranger episode. I saw that. The Trial of LaRue, which I'm sure we'll get through. Sooner or later. I'm pretty sure he did these stunts, too. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> but it was good. It was, like, believable, because he wasn't, like, you know, a lot of times people are dragged behind cars, and it's just a, a dummy just trailing right. around. It was, like, his just his feet were kind of dragging, and he, right. he does, this is, like, a Terminator 2 thing, right? He's just, he kind of climbs up the back of the car and finds <laughs> yeah. his way in. It, but yeah. instead, like, nowadays, that would, like, all be CG on, like, a green screen. This yeah. guy actually did this stuff. Yeah, yeah for Dragged sure. behind a truck in the middle of the woods at nighttime. Yeah, I'll also totally. say, like, as far as bad guys go, when he really started getting into it near the end, particularly when he was about to kill Allison, he was like hunched down, like his like spider, spi- like Spider Man walking. It was yeah, really that was, creepy. That yeah. was yeah. that the spider crawl thing. I was going to mention that that was good and creepy. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. So anyway, Chuck and his babe are driving away in this Bronco. The guy's hanging on the back. He climbs in and comes through the back rear window of this Bronco. 
takes him a long time to figure out that he's in the vehicle too. <laughs> right. Well, he is the well, silent, it's silent, silent rage. Yeah. 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 There it is. There it is. And it's a Bronco, so it's probably making so much noise. <laughs> it's got a lot of road noise in those vehicles. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Norris realizes that he's in the car with them. And so he does what anyone would do. He pushes his girlfriend out of the vehicle and then jumps out himself, leaving the bad guy careening towards a cliff. And so basically this Bronco just goes flying off into the abyss. With the Frankenstein's monster inside. Yeah, it lands and explodes into flames. Uh, They're watching it from afar and you immediately hear that he's no longer silent. Instead, he's <laughs> screaming and runs out of the car like <laughs> man on ser- fire in serious flame and plunges into the lake right next to the vehicle. Hmm. Convenient. Mm. So Chuck Norris runs down just to make sure that like the body's floating there or whatever. And instead, <laughs> John Kirby emerges from the water in one smooth motion. <laughs> <laughs> and Chuck Norris, he runs. He, well, he was playing a character. He was playing Sheriff Dan Stevens. So. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. They run off into the woods, and there's a lot of Sheriff Dan Stevens, like, grabbing Allison's arm and making her stop, but then immediately making her start running in another direction. It's a lot of that. <laughs> Let's make sure we're going in a circle. Right. So they end up at some farmhouse, and he's like, okay, will you stay in there? I'll try to fend him off. And then John Kirby shows up. And there's a very vintage Chuck Norris one-on-one fight Mm, where he does a mm -hmm. lot of kicking. And more kicking. And more (laughs) kicking. (laughs) They kind of start like wrestling. It kind of seems like the monster, John Kirby, has got the upper hand. For sure. I think the fact that he heals immediately and um, can't really be knocked out is a problem. Or be lit on fire. I mean, he survived that too. Fortunately, it's an old homestead and it's got a well. So he sees that as his one way out. And so there's a struggle and the sheriff gets thrown into the well, but he's able to grab onto the edge. Right. And just as he's about to plunge in, Allison comes to the rescue and basically jumps on John Kirby's back, puts herself in some serious peril, but buys enough time for the sheriff to come back out and engage him back again in combat. This time wrestling him close to the well and it's like kind of like the monster's going to push chuck norris back down in the well again or whatever finally after much struggle he flips john kirby into the well and i think we hear like a oh or something like that but it's for like sure. yeah. this well can't be that big for that kind of sound effect right sure sounded like it was you know? <laughs> right. sounded like it was like 250 feet 280 <laughs> feet maybe and it was kind of like okay well is that it? That's how you're going to destroy the monsters that throw him down a well? What? Well, I mean, did they really destroy him? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. Right yeah. at the end, before the credits roll. Like any good horror movie. Yep. It goes down the well, and then it gets to the bottom, and then there's like a quarter of a second clip of him splashing out of the water <laughs> before it freeze frames on like this blurry frame of him yeah, that was in like bad. red light, and then it fades to black. You know, I think the problem was that, you know, Chuck Norris didn't make a wish when he knocked him down the well. Okay. All right. Well, that about sums up this one. We'd love to give a shout out to our friend and collaborator, Adam Lauritsen, who's been drawing the amazing Walkerstrations on our social media. Be sure to check out his other art on Imagination Runamuck. When we come back, 
we'll be reflecting on what the heck we just witnessed and give Silent Rage our individual thumbs up or thumbs down. Don't go away. She showed you her what? I think I might be in love. Charlie, dispatch is for emergencies only. I just might go back in there and ask her out for a date. That sheriff done clocked me good. Get him, boys. Oh, my God! Mayday! Send backup. All units to Old Blue's Bar. Well, hold it right there, Charlie. I listened to your blathering. Now you can listen to mine. We here at the Roundhouse Roulette have pledged to deliver the light of Walker, Texas Ranger to the world. If you'd like to join us in that mission, please share the podcast with a friend or leave us a kind review on them Apple Podcasts. It truly helps other Walker Rats find the cast. If you'd like to further support the show, be sure to check out our fine online apparel and vintage action figures at roundhouseroulette.com or join the fun on our Patreon page. Most importantly, though, we thank you for listening. Never mind that backup, Barry. Sheriff Stevens beat up the biker gang all by himself. Well, he is being played by Chuck Norris. I- I'll see you back at the station. I'm a fixin' to talk to that red-hot biker mama. She can't run away with handcuffs on, but it might be harder for her to write down my phone number that way. Oh, Charlie, bless your heart. I'm hanging up now. Over and out. Hey, girlfriend. Welcome back. What did you guys think of this beast? Of all the non-walker things we've watched so far, I think this is going to be my favorite. Classic kind of slasher vibes. I liked how a lot of the fight scenes had no music and really minimal sound effects. That was like an <laughs> odd thing to me. I don't know if that was, if you guys noticed that, but it was. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed kind of weird, uh, but I liked it. It made the movie seem older than it really was, though. It felt like 70s, but if this had nothing to do with Chuck Norris, just like a bad old horror movie, mm-hmm. I'd put this on a list. I would recommend this. Yeah. I would recommend it way more if it was like 70 minutes. Right, right, exactly, yeah. They, they <laughs> could have cut out like 20 to 40 minutes of this movie. What did it Easily. come in at, 100 minutes? It's over 100 minutes. Yeah, see, not, for me, 90 minutes is like kind of the gold standard for these kind of movies. Uh, but I think I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, I'm probably in the other camp, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it just felt really long and kind of tortured. John Kirby could have done a whole lot more. They really could have turned him into like an unkillable, like Mike Myers type machine. Instead, they spent all this time showing the boring doctors behind the scenes, not knowing what they're doing or showing like really bad quote romantic scenes. Uh, The humor completely fell flat on its face the entire time. (laughs) Uh, It was non-existent really. Yeah. No, no, it, it tried. Yeah, I guess it was there. It tried. But yeah, <laughs> That's the problem. It was existent. But uh, so I'm a thumbs down on this one. I kind of see both sides to this. I love really cheesy uh, horror movies. The problem with this one is it wasn't even that creative, you know, <laughs> at all. And even really the wasn't. kills were not that creative. Like I had the guy hanging on the door with his eyes moving. He, yeah, he was still alive. He didn't even do his job. Again, it, fan theory, that guy injected himself with red drink right before he died. So he's still alive. It was just too drawn out. I'm going to go thumbs down. But like you say, Bob, if I was like getting people together to do like a bad horror movie night, this might be on the docket. But you don't have to take our word for it. 
Let's hop in the periodical time machine, set it to Friday, April 2nd, 1982. Excellent. Evan, do you want to uh, take a visit to the New York Times? This was the New York Times. Wow, okay. Chuck Norris in Silent Rage. This is New York Times from Friday, April 2nd, 1982. So not April Fool's Day, but the day after. (laughs) That's not an accident that they didn't post it on April 1st. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Silent Rage with Chuck Norris is really three movies, lightly intertwined. The first is your standard horror flick, and the second is a vehicle for Mr. Norris. The third, however, has possibilities. It shows science marching on. Mr. Norris, who plays the sheriff in a small town in Texas, disappears from silent rage for long periods at a time. When he reappears, he punches, clouts, or kicks someone gracefully and without rancor or gore. He is kind of white bread Bruce Lee. (laughs) <laughs> with no screen presence to speak of, but nothing terribly offensive working against him. He's just sort of there. Meanwhile, some young doctors messing around with genetic engineering at the local research institute take an ordinary psychopath and make him indestructible. Enter the horror part, of course, some of it sadistic and all of it depressing. The indestructible psychopath kills almost everyone he sees. It is with the young doctors, however, that the silent rage almost becomes interesting. The doctors are determined kids. None of these doctors are young, by the way. No, like how they're old, not kids. How old, how old yeah. is this reviewer? They're in like the late 30s, 40s, 50s. <laughs> yeah, people looked older back then, though. Come on. That's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. Obviously, they went through school on scholarships. What? If they hadn't gone into medicine... They would have gone into computer technology, made fortunes, and graced the covers of business magazines. What? What? Oh, what, you, what? New York right, Times? I'm, what are you I'm doing? I'm going to take this up with John Corey of the New York Times. He's, he's doing a little dramatic license here. Yeah. All right. Silent Rage may be trying to say something here about wealthy technicians and the popular culture, but then the psychopath or Mr. Norris appear and the thought gets lost. The movie's other contribution comes in the scene in which Mr. Norris and Tony Calum, who plays his girlfriend, make love. Mr. Norris is shirtless more often than Miss Calum, which is possibly a first for soft pornography. (laughs) That's my favorite line from this. Brian Libby, who projects a genuine feeling of menace as the psychopath, mumbles a sentence or two early on in the movie and says not another word. Presumably this is where the title Silent Rage comes from, although it's hard to tell. At the movie's conclusion, Mr. Norris throws Mr. Libby down a deep well, but in the final freeze frame, we see him re-emerging. This means there probably will be a sequel. It is a terrible thought. I've got a lot of comments. I got a lot of notes. My <sighs> only comment on this is uh, I give this movie review a thumbs down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah this, what? I feel like this guy's reviewed movies from like the 50s and 60s. <laughs> I mean, it's like, there's no such thing as spoilers. You know? Yeah, what the <laughs> heck? Like, this isn't realistic. These guys would be computer scientists. that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's saying something about young, wealthy doctors. This guy clearly, like, there's a story here. I think yeah. John Corey tried to invest in in some sort of scientific breakthrough and got fleeced by a bunch of young doctors. That's what yeah. I think happens. So every review he does is a little jab to someone like that. Yeah, yeah. what the heck? Yeah, and yeah he, wanted, he wanted more of the doctors. We wanted less of the doctors. 
Yeah. You know what, though, guys? Maybe we just completely didn't watch this movie the right way. Maybe uh, we didn't really see it the way we should have. I yep. think we should watch it again. I'm already looking up who John Corey <laughs> was in New York Times. Dude, he gave away the whole ending in that review. It's not yeah, a review. He, start, he did. He started <sighs> He started at the Times as a copy boy in 1957. <laughs> <laughs> this all makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised this isn't his obituary, so I don't want to speak ill of the dead, ooh, but, you know. <laughs> I guess he lost his life fortune to some medical scientists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we can all agree that uh, Silent Rage maybe would have been better as a silent film. <laughs> there you go. But whatever you think, please let us know. Do you like it when we do these Chuck Norris movies? Or should we just stick to Walker, Texas Ranger? Please troll us on social media or by emailing us at roundusroulette at gmail.com. Yeah, I mean, you guys really need to let us know. You'd rather stick to Walker or did you enjoy Silent Rage? Or should we start a new podcast about the band Yes? We could just start the Walker Covers Project. A time for love, maybe? (laughs) I think so. All right, well, whatever you guys think, we hope you have a spooktacular Halloween filled with chills, thrills, frightful delightfuls, (laughs) spooktacular (laughs) treats. Join us next time when we return to our regularly scheduled Walker Texas Ranger programming and we dig into yet another bone-crushing episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time, may the eyes of the ranger be upon you.